0: tuned in to chaos to the fly a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by greg Newbigin. if you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello send an email to info at chaos to the or if you'd like to share an experience send the details to stories at chaos to the fly.com and it might be included on future episodes now let's get down to business shall we G'day friendly flies and welcome to episode 13 of season 1 of Chaos to the Fly. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode. My name is Greg Newbegin, I am your fly host. Anyway, episode 12, if you missed it last week, uh, we covered Baphomet, we looked at a ghost story called Two Weeks of Hell, which was pretty fun, and I took a look at a book series called The Rising by Brian Keane. Pretty interesting books, wasn't too pleased about the way the first one ended, but overall, not too bad, depending on what you like out of your horror. I'd recommend you have a listen to episode 12 if you want to understand that comment a little bit more. This week, we have... I thought I'd take a look at something different. I was going to look at a demon specifically, and while I was looking up that demon, I came across the Seven Deadly Sins and thought, you know what, I think it'll be interesting to cover that. So I did that instead. Who was the demon I was thinking of covering? Beelzebub! So I didn't. Anyway, maybe that'll be next week. Who knows? You'll have to stick around for episode 14 as well. Anyway, let's crack on into this one. We do have two ghost stories this week because they are a bit shorter. I've got a review of A Quiet Place for you. So stick around. See you a bit later. (laughs) The Seven Deadly Sins. The seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Regardless of your religious persuasion, It's likely you've come across these terms in your lifetime at some point, but where did the idea come from that these specifically were the worst of the worst? Given it's primarily a Christian belief, is it even mentioned in the Bible? The answer to the latter is a bold and emphatic no. And for the former, well, as per all of these little overviews that we offer on Chaos to the Fly, that story is actually quite interesting. Depending on your hunger for history, that is. Originally, the idea came from a group of Christian holy men that lived in the Egyptian desert in the 4th century AD. In modern times, these religious hermits have come to be known as the Desert Fathers, but I must claim complete ignorance, I'd never heard of them myself, although the name Desert Fathers is pretty cool, I have to admit. These holy men were well known for their words of wisdom at the time, which has actually been passed down throughout the ages, most likely unbeknownst to many. One of these Desert Fathers, whose name was Evagrius the Solitary, identified eight evil thoughts that humans would need to wrestle with and overcome. One of his pupils then brought these ideas through to Europe, where word spread and ended up in well-known publications such as Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and Dante's Purgatory. This was then adopted by the Catholic Church at large, and the rest is pretty much history both literally and figuratively. Of course, these seven deadly sins weren't exactly considered okay prior to all of this, and of course, in ancient philosophy, there was the idea that for every positive attribute, there were two negative qualities opposing. In fact, the idea of vices was pretty common to both Greek and Roman philosophy, and this is considered antecedent to the idea of the seven deadly sins. Anyway, You may have noticed that I mentioned Evagrius, what a weird name, highlighted eight evil thoughts, and not seven. So, what were these? In no particular order, and in perfect Greek, I might add, there was gastrimargia, or gluttony, arcadia, or dejection, porneia, or fornication, kenodoxia, or boasting philagiria, or greed orge, or wrath hyperephania, or pride and lipe, or sadness again, perfect Greek as you can see, the only one that really didn't make the cut was sadness so remember, it is okay to be sad in fact, it's quite normal sometimes it was in the early 6th century that Pope Gregory I revised the list down to the list that we all know and love. This list slightly amended and merged some of the terms to be a little more specific and clear. Somewhat later, the list was further extended upon in a 15th century triatise which associated a list of demons that were considered to specifically tempt individuals via the sin that they represented. Lucifer for pride, Beelzebub for envy, Satan himself for Wrath Abaddon for Sloth Mammon for Greed Belphegor for Gluttony and Asmodeus for Lust I guess I'll have to go through each of those at some point But what of Blasphemy? And of the truly horrendous sins such as murder and rape and other such unmentionables? Well, did you know there were other lists of sins? For example, the eternal sins, which are also known as the sins against the Holy Ghost, covers blasphemy in great detail. And beyond this, the sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Yes, that's what they're called. The sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Well, these are the truly evil sins. Those of the blood, of oppression, and of injustice. Interesting considering the current world state. The Seven Deadly Sins have been mentioned in innumerable places, and it's virtually impossible to recount it all, so I won't. However, there are a couple of standouts, so let's look at them. Most notably, there's an anime called The Seven Deadly Sins, which focuses on, you guessed it, The Seven Deadly Sins. And, of course, what's in the box? Why, it's the movie Seven, starring popular movie star Brad Pitt. What's in the box, indeed? (coughs) Our first ghost story this week comes to us from Mally via the Ghost Stories subreddit. Thank you, Mally, for sending this in. This is our first story about a seance. This all happened back in January 2019, so I don't really remember every detail, but I remember enough. I'm very much into the occult and seances and all that kind of stuff, and so are my friends. I have a pendulum and enough knowledge to safely, at least I think, hold a seance. We, which includes of course my friends and I, decided it would be a fun idea to hold a seance in my house, which was originally built all the way back in the 1840s. It was around maybe 5pm and we were leaving for my grandmother's in an hour, which gave us plenty of time. We sat in a circle and took all the right steps to ensure that if something were to happen, it wouldn't be too bad, at least we hoped. We'd done a seance previously in my house and made contact with the ghost of a young boy whose name I believe to have been Isaac, although I should mention that he only gave us the first letter and Isaac was just a feeling that I got. On this evening, we wanted to try to talk to him again. This time though, it was different. I already knew that Isaac wasn't the only spirit in the house. For one, he'd told us this when we asked in our previous contact, but more than that, I could also feel their presences. I wasn't too concerned though, and I wanted to push forward with it, which ended up being a bad decision. During a seance I always act as the communicator or the link to the other side, so it was just me asking questions and making the big connection, which is actually pretty draining. We kept asking questions as you would with a Ouija board, with my pendulum swinging back and forth and each way representing yes or no. One of my friends mentioned a shed deep in the woods behind my house, which we asked about in the previous seance. Immediately, an overwhelming wave of oppressive energy settled over us, and it was all I could do to keep from crying. I generally don't scare easily. It wasn't fear that I felt, but pure dread and hopelessness. I knew it was the main spirit in the house, an older woman who we think abused Isaac. I don't know her name, and... Frankly, I don't want to. Following the wave of dread, I felt as if someone was standing behind me with their hands on my shoulders, and one of my friends said she saw a vaguely humanoid shadow standing behind me. Within a few minutes of this, I physically and mentally couldn't maintain the connection, not that any of us wanted to, and I shut it down. As we left the room and closed the door, I caught a glimpse of a woman's shadow against the door, but when I looked closer, it was gone. I took two of my friends down to the barn with me to feed my chickens, leaving the two who were unaffected in my room. I swear the damn ghost followed us. We ended up having to go to my grandmother's house early because we couldn't stand being in the house after that. After we left the property, we felt better, though I had to de-escalate. I know this whole story sounds a bit far-fetched, weird and made up, but I swear it happened. I know what I felt and what I saw. I haven't done a seance since, and before I moved, I couldn't even go into that seance room without feeling gross. <coughs> Our second ghost story comes from Brutillus in a discord that I use for my other podcast. This one is a good old house haunting. In my old house, I had many experiences that I believe were linked to two separate spirits. When my sister was young, she always talked about an imaginary friend that she called the girl in the closet. My parents ruled it off as just her imagination, of course. That is, until said closet girl supposedly came violent, getting angry at my sister for whatever reason. On a separate occasion, I was hanging out with my best friend, and for whatever reason we found ourselves standing at the top of the stairs to the basement. Then he suddenly looked me in the eyes and pushed me. I fell down the stairs, crying for my mum. When she came, I told her what happened and she looked at me confused, saying, your friend isn't even here. The last major experience I had with this entity was just a few years ago, when I was home alone after school. I was in the basement and I heard rustling in the kitchen upstairs, thinking it was my neighbor's kid who had a habit of walking into our house. I don't know why he did that, so don't ask. And no, it wasn't Steve Urkel. Anyway, I was walking upstairs, and as I did, a pot that was on the counter fell to the ground, and I heard little kids footsteps run all the way back to the room where my sister used to claim the closet girl was. I checked, of course, and no one was there. And there was absolutely no way anybody could have gotten out of the house either, because both doors were locked and the windows were shut. The other set of experiences I had were in my basement. Before I moved to a room in the back corner of the house, it was my father's office. My mother would claim she would constantly see my father walk down the hall and into the room when he was, in fact, never there. When I moved into the room, I would sometimes feel somebody sit on the end of my bed at night. Sometimes it would feel like the bed was shaking too, or that hands were pressing down on the bed closer and closer to my head. It freaked me out at first, but I got used to it thinking it was all in my head, so I'd jokingly get mad at it, kicking it where it sat to make it go away. Later, my dog... The sweetest bulldog, who would never growl at anything, refused to enter my room, growling at the end of my bed exactly where I felt this thing would sit. I took a video of this, trying different things to see if it was something on the bed that he was growling at, etc. But unfortunately, a few days later, the device I recorded it on fell and smashed, and I couldn't recover the data. And lastly, on another occasion, me and my friend were playing a game on my PlayStation 3. We were sitting on one side of the room when the third controller, which was on my bed far away from the both of us, flew across the room and put a dent in the wall. I assure you I'm telling the truth from my perspective. I still think there are rational explanations for any single one of these events, but it's just weird how so many things happen in specific areas of my old house. A Quiet Place Written, directed by, and starring John Krasinski of The Office fame, A Quiet Place is a different kind of horror movie. It's a thriller with its hook based firmly on its premise, which it takes pains to set up for the first third of its running time. Set in a kind of post-apocalyptic universe, I guess. It doesn't really tell any backstory. A Quiet Place tells the story of... A family living in a secluded country area, living every day in a struggle not to make a sound or risk being hunted and killed by the mysterious blind monsters that prey on them. It's pretty original and it makes for some pretty tense viewing at times, but it's also a very quiet and at times very kind of boring experience, sadly. You need to give this movie a lot of your attention perhaps more than it actually deserves. That said, if you do give it your attention, you'll probably be glad you did, because it's pretty great. Great's a strong word. Pretty good. Good's a weak word. I don't know. It's in between great and good. It does have that common horror movie thing, mostly common in post-apocalyptic movies, where nothing is really tied up at the end. It kind of is, but it really isn't, at least in my opinion. But of course, there is a sequel coming real soon, so it's very likely that the story will pick up where this one left off, but it's still kind of frustrating. And more than that, the characters within the movie make some really painful decisions at times. Of course, it's just a movie, and you need to suspend disbelief, and yes, it's not so simple to be able to say what decision you might make under the same circumstances, but... <sighs> I know it's not the best criticism to level against a horror movie because they do need to create tension, but sometimes the decisions are just so unnatural, it needs to be said. Anyway, enough said. Moving on. It's definitely not the greatest horror movie ever made, and it does take a lot of patience, and it's silent for the majority of the movie, 75%, but it's it's well worth your time, at least in my opinion, if you give it your time, if that's your thing. I'm looking forward to the sequel as well, personally. And what happens at the end means that maybe the second one won't be so quiet? I don't know. We'll see. Alrighty, episode 13. In the bag. Woo, woo, woo. woo. I don't know. I'm not very cool. My mum thinks I'm cool. So, as usual, why did I choose these topics? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Like I said at the start, I was considering doing uh, an episode on Beelzebub or Satan or someone along those lines. I actually almost started a write-up on Abaddon again, forgetting that I'd covered Abaddon a couple of weeks ago. Idiot. But as I was looking across an article about Beelzebub, which was pretty interesting, but I thought, eh, it's a bit short. I noticed something about the seven deadly sins and I thought that'd be cool. I want to do something a little bit different. And to be honest, I am thinking of changing things up a little bit for season two. I don't know if I'm going to focus so much on the ghost stories anymore. Hard to say. Probably will focus more on this stuff about the occult and cool stuff like that. I don't know. I haven't decided. It's in the works. The fact is, I just don't have enough ghost stories. They aren't coming to me as often or as quick as I'd like them to. So I kind of need to make a little bit of a change. I might start telling some more famous ghost stories, perhaps. Uh, It's hard to say, but there are a lot of podcasts out there that already do that. I didn't want to go down that path, but I will do some thinking. If you've got some suggestions for me, let me know. But anyway, that's why I decided to do the Seven Deadly Sins today. I wanted to cover something a little bit different. Uh, Let me know what you thought of it, whether you liked it or not. It was a bit short, but there's not much to say about the seven deadly sins. I still just thought it was an interesting topic, especially about those desert fathers. That's cool. The two ghost stories are, if I'm a hundred percent honest, the last two ghost stories that I had. So I've got two more episodes to go and no ghost stories. I will be able to track some ghost stories down by next week and the week after. Of course I do have places where I can get them from, but Of what I had collected originally, they were the last two. And because they were short, I decided to put them together. Uh, Both pretty cool. Both um, really sounding like natural uh, experiences as told by someone who had just experienced them without too much elaboration. And I like that style as well. So I put them together. And also, I like the idea that we hadn't had a seance story. So now we do. Yay! A Quiet Place is a movie that I watched a few months ago. Really enjoyed it. But it's not for everybody. Um, I've seen some reviews that have really panned it. I don't think it deserves to be panned. It is awkward at times. And let's face it, it's uh, his first directorial debut. So, you know, it takes time before someone really comes out. And I think he's done a pretty good job for for uh, for what it is. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And I'm uh, hoping that uh, he really grows into those director's boots and we'll see how that goes. So that was this week's episode, a little bit shorter than the others have been, but such is life. You can't plan for things sometimes. It is what it is. This week's topic is the occult. I like occultish things, and that's kind of why I got into writing. It's kind of why I decided to make this podcast, and Starting to get back into that stuff because I you know I used to think it was cool, I, I loved HP Lovecraft, like I said, I used to go to Theosophical Society in Victoria in Melbourne, which is basically an alternative science uh society to bookstore, really. Um, that shares a whole bunch of occult stuff. And I really enjoyed looking through there at different things. Never bought anything. But actually, I think that was where I got the Necronomicon from all those years ago. Possibly the Satanic Bible. I do have that somewhere as well. So, yeah, I've always been interested in the occult. And I'm starting to read about it a lot more. And it's really interesting how much there is to it. How far back some things go in terms of beliefs. And just the fact that a lot of occult beliefs actually include a lot of religious terminology as well, uh, which I wasn't aware of. Um, and I've, I've started to look into that and just notice how much everything really ties into everything else. And, oh, my God, we're all saying the same things just from a different angle, which is really bloody interesting. But, yeah, the occult. Hmm. So I'm thinking of turning chaos to the fly into like an exploratory podcast where I keep the reviews. Cause I like that section of the, uh, of the show. Maybe I'll start to bump them up and, and make my reviews a bit longer. I try to avoid giving spoilers, but Hey, it makes my reviews really short. Uh, so perhaps I'll, I'll beef them up a little bit, uh, in the future. I'll stick with this method for the rest of season one. We'll see how we go for season two, but I'm thinking season two, I might just do a bit more research instead of trying to track down ghost stories and make the first half of the episode longer and really focused on a single topic uh, or a single bunch of topics. Dunno, it's it's all up in the air and yet to be seen, but uh, I think I'll change things up. Unless, you never know, maybe I'll just suddenly get a shitload of stories again and I'll be able to sort of keep it going the way it is, but change the first piece of the episode's uh, it's really hard to say if you like the way things are and you don't want it to change, let me know. You know it's all up to you, the listeners. This is for you. as much as I enjoy doing it myself, it needs to be what you want to listen to, so let me know what that is. Of course, info at chaostothefly.com is where to go. Hmm this week's secret. Well, while we're talking about the occult, when I was in my late teens. Perhaps, not only did I go to the Theosophical Society bookshop and buy stuff, but I also got into witchcraft. I didn't actually do anything. I bought one book called Mastering Witchcraft, which was, I don't know probably written for people like myself who was just a little bit confused about what I wanted at the time and was watching movies like uh, TV shows like Buffy, to the Van- Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff like that and really just had the whole idea of witchcraft romanticized to me because it was really, it was a very flashy book that was just talking about all these wonderful spells you can do to win your life back and all this kind of stuff. And it it was I reckon it was 100% targeted at young, naive people like myself. So I went and bought this book. I went and bought a mortar and pestle and a whole bunch of different herbs and salts and minerals that I could grind, and I did nothing with it. Not a single thing. I had a whole bunch of candles burning in my room and things like that, and and I did nothing with it. I think I realised that I never at the time Actually believed in any of it. I just had, like I said, romanticised it in my head, and it was something I wanted to believe in, but couldn't. Hmm. That was, of course, at the same time I was listening to a lot of uh darker gothic music and all that kind of thing. And I used to get at gothic nightclubs and things like that, uh, which was a, a weird and wonderful phase of my life. Probably only lasted two or three years. I had some interesting friends, one guy that used to dress up as a a vampire, and he had his, I don't know whether he really had his teeth filed down so that they looked like a vampires, or whether he just had some um, teeth fashioned for him by a dentist, I'm pretty sure it was just the latter, but he used to walk around calling himself a vampire, and the reincarnation of Alistair Crowley, he used to say he was. Interesting people. Plus there was another guy that used to go to nightclubs in full metal armor, like a knight. Hmm. I just used to wear a black jumper and jeans. I did dye my hair black though. Damn. Lots of secrets in this episode. Anyway, sadly no reviews again. So once again, I am a sad panda and my hair is black and white. (laughs) Haha, sad panda, panda reference. Okay, whatever. Um, But if you do like the show, please jump on, give us a review somewhere. Or don't. Click like, click subscribe. It all helps. Do whatever makes you feel better about life, and I'll be there on the other side to take that little pat on the back like a champ. Thank you. We'll see you next week with episode 14, the second last episode of season one. Can't believe we're almost there. Exciting times. See ya. Chaos to the fly might mostly be my little project. But it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources, so I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at Disco Underscore Box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from Zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep this spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies.